Thanks for listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is the Federal Drive with Tom Tennant. I'm Jared Serdu filling in. The federal government has been operating without a Senate-confirmed administrator in the Office of Federal Procurement Policy for two and a half years now, but no more. Before their departure for the August recess, Senators approved Michael Wooten to lead OFPP. To talk more about what the confirmation means and some of the issues Mr. Wooten is likely to face in the new job, we're joined now by Alan Schwatkin, the Executive Vice President at the Professional Services Council. And Alan, you know, I think if there's anything that we know about OFPP administrators, like most political appointees, frankly, is that their tenures tend to be relatively short. So he's going to have to pick his battles. What, what, What sorts of issues are teed up for him and what would you expect him to focus on in the two years that OFPP administrators tend to last? Yes. Well, and, and it's regrettable that he's got such a short period of time left over. Right. And, and that's really the congressional problem. president nominated him last year. He w- didn't get through the process at the end of last year, uh, resubmitted his nomination in February. And so it was until not until August that the Congress, the, the Senate confirmed him. So a little bit of shame on the Congress for taking an important position like that and not giving it the attention that it that it deserves. But uh, glad to see uh, Michael confirmed. And as you said, um, his priorities, understandably, he's going to focus on the on the workforce, uh, the acquisition workforce in particular. Uh, he's talked about the importance in, in his uh, confirmation hearing about um, supporting the president's management agenda. I'm not surprised at that at all, uh, but I would interpret that to be focusing in on the role of shared services, the role of uh, category management as a priority for federal agencies in the economy and efficiency areas. I, I think he's got some, going to have some other issues on his plate uh, as well. Uh, cybersecurity is huge in the federal marketplace. Lots of attention, lots of agency spending, lots of policies uh, being developed within the procurement agencies, and I think there's some need to uh, to draw some attention there as well. And acquisition reform continues to be a high priority for the Congress. Uh, the National Defense Authorization Act working its way through Congress. Some of those provisions are government-wide, some unique to individual agencies. Uh, there's no doubt that there's plenty of things that he can work on. And then I, I hope that he'll continue to be very active and very visible in his engagement with industry and encouraging the agencies to do the same. Uh, OFPP administrators have had a long track record of doing that, and, uh, and I hope he have, he'll continue that as well. Yeah, and as far as the policy focus, I think it's probably fair to expect that there will be quite a bit of continuity since, as you said, the president's management agenda has been out there and has been being implemented by Leslie Field and others at OFPP. But how much does it matter to have a confirmed individual in that slot and how much more influence does it give OFPP across it? Well, it matters a lot uh, across government uh, to have someone at the table who has uh, the imprimatur of the president's nomination and the Senate's confirmation. Uh, while the acting folks, and I've known Leslie a long time, she's an outstanding career official uh, who's done a, a marvelous job and maybe the longest serving uh, acting or it, performing the duties of the administrator. Uh, it is very different to have a confirmed official at the table, uh, not only in working uh, it, matters only a little bit within the agency, but it matters a lot about the uh, who's at the table, uh, across the table with other federal agencies. And that's where I think the OFPP, the confirmed OFPP administrator can make a difference. 
two, uh, all, the, all the priorities you mentioned are plenty for one person to handle, but if he chooses to take up some acquisition reform issues, it strikes me that he's got a lot, he's got a whole stack of them from the Section 809 panel that's now delivered three reports. Would, would you expect that to be something that OFPP gets into at all, or whether they just leave that to, to, to Congress for the most part, because some of them do require legislation? Well, I think there's two uh, two answers to that, uh, Jared. First of all, uh, some of the recommendations that do require legislation, um, OFPP has not commented on the 809 panel generally, and they're well-versed in its recommendations. Uh, the Department of Defense, which was the focal point of the 809 panel, uh, certainly did. Uh, but it, it, many of the recommendations in the 809 panel uh, have application government-wide, and OFPP can be a champion for some of those uh, if they choose to do so on a government-wide basis, uh, even whether even if it takes some legislation. But many of the recommendations, and I know you've had the panel members on a, a lot, many of those recommendations can be done administratively. They don't need uh, changes in legislation. They don't even need changes in regulation. Uh, they can be adopted administratively. And uh, I'd encourage uh, uh, Michael to take a look at those and uh, see if there are some that uh, that he favors that he could champion. The good news is that he's been on the front lines of the acquisition process uh, from the prior role at the Department of Education, so he certainly will have some familiarity with it. He won't be coming in uh, without that uh, that history and expertise. All right, Alan, let, let's switch gears to another acquisition issue. Uh, we have a new interim rule going into effect tomorrow restricting the use of Huawei and ZTE equipment on federal networks. Uh, just came out last week, not giving either agencies or contractors a whole lot of time to get ready. Well, that's right. And the Congress uh, passed this last year as part of the uh, National Defense Authorization Bill for fiscal year 2019. Uh, it mandated that prohibitions go into effect on uh, August 13th, tomorrow. And so, uh, unfortunately, we only got a few days a, a peek at the advance sheets uh, at the end of last week. Uh, the rule uh, should be published tomorrow, and uh, it'll be effective tomorrow. Uh, as you said, uh, the real concern, in my view, and I've been through the, the, the draft a couple times now, uh, it's a fairly straightforward implementation of the legislation. There wasn't a lot of flexibility, but I wish we had seen those uh, mandates sooner rather than uh, at the, the day they become effective. That gives no time for agencies to prepare uh, to adjust their contract writing systems to make sure that the prohibitions uh, go into effect uh, on the right date. And it gives no contractors time to prepare either. Uh, now, nobody should be surprised, or a few shouldn't be surprised, uh, that the prohibitions are going into effect. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about it. But until you see the actual rule, the actual representation that contractors have to make, and the specific prohibitions uh, under the under the law, uh, that's what uh, I wish we had a little bit more advanced time for. Now, it is an interim rule. There's an opportunity for comment. Uh, but I, I would not expect a, a whole lot of uh, impactful comments to be made. Yeah, if this if this had been given a longer notice and comment period prior to uh, prior to it taking effect, are there obvious changes that you or others in industry would have urged the government to make? Well, I, I would have been I would have been pushing for one that they're talking about doing in the future, which is uh, to move for most of the government contractors. This will be a clause that has no effect on them. 
They're not providing the network or the video surveillance equipment, uh, yet they're going to see clauses in the contract. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd like the idea that GSA is moving forward with a class deviation that allows a annual certification that, you know, I have none of this stuff. Uh, that would reduce the administrative burden uh, enormously. A uh, little bit of advance notice, if they had even prepared that and ready to go on day one, that would be helpful. We're still some time away from seeing that. Uh, I'm going to be pushing the executive branch to move rapidly on that single annual certification, uh, particularly for those companies, the vast majority, uh, that this will have no impact on. It, it, to your point about it being a relatively straightforward implementation, it is a pretty sweeping rule. There really aren't any loopholes. It applies to commercial items, COTS items, and even below the simplified acquisition threshold, as I understand it. You're smart on this stuff, Jared, and you're, you're reading it correctly. It has broad application uh, across all con contracts. Uh, but even for those that have that kind of equipment that are providing those goods or services, uh, they'll have to do a lot more work to clean up their supply chain. That's understandable too, but again, that there's a limited authority for some exceptions. There's limited authority for some waivers. Uh, none of those processes are uh, addressed in this proposed rule or in agency practices. We're going to learn that on the fly. All right, Alan Schwatkin, Executive Vice President at the Professional Services Council. Thanks as always, Alan. Always a pleasure. And still to come on Federal News Radio, USCIS turns to automation to help deal with a crush of incoming Freedom of Information Act requests. That's next on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu, filling in for Tom. This episode is sponsored in part by U.S. Bank. What if I told you you could get cash back just for being yourself? The U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card lets you customize your rewards to maximize your cash back. Receive up to 5% cash back on the two reward categories that best fit your lifestyle and adjust your cash back selections each quarter as your spending changes. Learn more at usbank.com slash cash plus. Whether you're a movie buff or a gym rat, a foodie or a techie, a homebody or a jet setter, you can earn 5% cash back doing the things you love. Just be yourself and get rewarded. Plus, you'll get 2% cash back on one everyday category like gas stations, EV charging stations, groceries or restaurants. Apply now at usbank.com slash cash plus and discover how you can get a $200 cash back bonus. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.